Good morning, you guys can have a seat. This is your first time with us. My name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, we are working our way through some Advent material. So if you've got a Bible, you can go with me to Luke chapter 1, starting verse 46, and we'll be there till Christmas. Uh, we're going to look at Mary's song that she sings after she encounters Elizabeth, her cousin, and John the Baptist in her womb. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. God, God, I pray for us in the, in the mix and in the mess and, and in the static of the white noise uh, of everything that's happening around us this time of year. God, that we would remember that the reason why we are celebrating is that you have come into history. You set aside your divine rights and entered and came. You came and walked among us as our high priest. You were made like us in every way, but knew no sin. You can relate to us in everything. Uh, You are coming back, and I pray we would remember that we're not just celebrating that you came, but we're celebrating that you are coming again, that you will wipe every tear from every eye. And though it might not look like you're the king right now, sometimes when we look out our windows, we will be certain when you are returned that you are the king. And that everything will be as it should be. And everything will be the way that you want it to be, Jesus. And so I just pray for us now that our hearts will be prepared to celebrate your second advent. Jesus, we need you. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit that we could understand your word. I just pray for the things that are just of me that they would be forgotten. But the things that you have for us here that are of you, God, would be magnified. That we would rejoice in who you are, Jesus. And God, we'd walk in your ways and live for your glory. I do pray these things for our glory and for your joy. In your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, starting in 46. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. You can feel free to grab one. Um, uh, Advent's important. And I think there's two big reasons we need to celebrate Advent. There's two big reasons we need to take the time to look at Advent. There's two big reasons we need to be here. Um, One uh, is the fact that in, in the mess and with just family stuff and and, and, and your Christmas tree falls down in the middle of your living room, and all this stuff, because that actually happens to some of us, um, with all this stuff, uh, it, we need to take the time, uh, because we live in a culture right now, we're not at home with the significant. Uh, we don't do well with the deep things, and we actually need to take the time to prepare our hearts to drink deeply the reality that the God of the universe, who is holy and completely separate and the maker of all things, set aside His divine rights and came down to us. That He had to come as a baby because we can't get up to Him, but that He had to come down to get to us. That there's nothing we can do to get to God, but God had to come down and get to us. And He did so in a way that blew everyone's mind and still should blow our minds. He came as a baby to a little girl who, who wasn't even married. Right? She, he came into history to save us from ourselves and to set us free. And the power of His incarnation is at work in our lives as we speak. He came to save us from death to life. He came to save us from ourselves to Himself. He came to give us joy. And He came to give us life. And that is the power of the Incarnation. And that is the power of His cross. And that's the power of His resurrection. And that's a power that's at work right now today as you sit in your seat. This is true of you now if you are in Him. And the thing of it is, is if you are not in Him, this is the power of Him to save you now. This is the power of Him to help you, to save you, to free you, and to give you life. We're not at home with significant things. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is what God has done. Uh, The other thing is that that I I hope, I mean, I don't know how your family works, right? But I'm I'm excited, right? 
I'm a Christmas guy. If I had my way, I'd have a giant Snoopy as the Red Baron blow up on my roof uh, with Christmas lights everywhere to where my neighbors would be complaining. I'd get tickets from the city on my, uh, on, I'm, I'm usually a very good recycler, but I would get tickets about my power usage, right? If I had my way, that, we'd go big on the Christmas lights. And, and I'm excited for Christmas Day, and I'm excited for Christmas Eve, and when my, when my family makes the Danish porridge thing, and we, we all try and find the almond, and somebody wins a marzipan pig, if you find the almond, I don't know why you get a marzipan pig, or what you're supposed to do with a marzipan pig. It's a lot of marzipan, it doesn't actually fit in your mouth, and you've got this thing, but man, if you win it, you are the winner. You are the winner this year. Um, my hope is that just as much as I'm excited to open presents with my kids, and just as much as I'm excited to spend time uh, just relaxing on Christmas. My hope is that our hearts will be tuned to the reality that Jesus is coming back. His second advent is coming. He is going to wipe every tear from every eye. He is going to restore the whole world. And I think with the mess of our lives, we can sometimes forget that. That Jesus Christ is in the, begin, in the business of putting things right. He's in the business of putting our lives right. And he's in the business of putting everything right. And his kingdom is coming. And his kingdom is now. But when his kingdom comes in its fullness, when it all gets put back together, the kingdom's at hand now, but when we get to see it all the way, I mean, we get to live our lives seeing Jesus face to face. You get to know Jesus now. If you're, you get to know God now. The curtain is torn, and you have full access to God through Jesus Christ. But someday, you and I, if you are in Christ, will get to live with Jesus Christ, seeing him face to face. Do we drink that in? My hope is that as we get this, this spirit of anticipation going, we remember as Christians, we are anticipating. We are anticipating what he is going to do. And we get to do that every day, right? So let's go ahead and dig right in to, to Mary, Mary's song here in Luke 46. Um, my hope for you is in light of these things that you would have a subversive Christmas. And when I say subversive Christmas, uh, I, I don't have any like anarchist visions. I just have a Christ-centered Christmas in view. I have a, a Christmas where your heart is so enamored and full of who Jesus is that, that your life, your Christmas is different. So a subversive Christmas is not just uh, us being against people messing up Christmas, right? Drove by a thing where the T had intentionally been removed from the word Christmas to make it Christmas, no Christ, right? And I think sometimes we can make it so our aim to be against people who are trying to surgically remove Jesus from Christmas, uh, that we forget that the way that we actually have a subversive Christmas is that we magnify Jesus, that we make Jesus really big this Christmas in our lives. It's, it's not about us being against what they're doing, but us being about who he is in our life in such a way that it's salty and bright around us. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just like making sure that the checker, when she check is, checks you out at the grocery store, she says, happy holidays. You say, well, you have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, you can do that. Go ahead. You know, it's not just you taking Christmas in your front yard and spelling Christ in, in one color and then moss in the other color so they know it's not just no T, it's Christ. And you can do that. You're free in Christ to do that and go for it. It's your Merry Christmas present there. Do it. Now you have an idea for decorating. I have a thousand Christmas decoration ideas if you need any, by the way. I'm, I, I think about them on a regular basis. I... I have lots and lots of ideas, but, but my hope is what makes it a subversive Christmas is a Christmas that's a Jesus-centered Christmas, a Christmas where the reality of the gospel is so at work in our lives uh, that it just, it just flows out from who we are, and we spend our whole Christmas making much of Jesus and making Jesus look really, really huge. And that also means, I think, that we do Christmas better than everybody, 
That means that we don't have like anti-Christmas where we're against the Christmas that everybody else does and that we're just sort of the, the Christian Grinchy Christmas guy. Well, you know, a Christmas tree has pagan origins, blah, blah, blah. No, man, celebrate, party, because we have so much to celebrate because he's coming, he's coming back. He's coming, he's coming, he's back. Okay, let's go. And I think in this song, as we'll be here for the next three weeks, the, the thing that we need to see to set us up, and Pastor Joe did a great job setting us up last week, a little more set up, uh, is that we look at this song, uh, I think today, to, to have the fuel for that, for that Christ-centered, that subversive Christmas, uh, we're going to try and answer three questions. Who's singing the song? Why is she singing the song? And why you should sing this song too. So here we go. Uh, I'm going to read it, and then we'll dig in. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Songs are hard. Songs are hard for a big reason. Uh, And that is is that uh, when the Bible has a song... You're supposed to slow down, you're supposed to breathe it in, and usually the theological message, the message about God is getting deep. The theology is getting deep, but the problem is, uh, is as the theology gets deep, God's also singing, God's got a song for us to hear. So we're trying to walk in the tension of, of picking up the beauty of what God is saying in this art. This is a, a little girl's song, and at the same time, slowing down to take apart the deep theological meaning. Uh, and we have to be careful because, one, we can have all song and no meaning, and then it's just an Italian opera, right? You're at the opera, they're singing. I've never been to an opera, so I'm just guessing. Um, so you're at the opera, and they're singing, and the sets are cool, and they've got swords, and they're dressed like Vikings. I'm, I'm in. You've got, me, you've got me at Vikings and stuff. We're, we're good here. Uh, but I don't speak Italian, so I have no idea what they're saying. So as much as I can say, that was really cool... I'm going to miss some of the deeper meaning. Likewise, if you translate the Italian into English, hand it to me without the swords and the Vikings and just give it to me, and it's just sort of uh, the laboratory frog where I take apart the syntax, I'm actually going to miss that that there's a synergistic thing happening there, and I think there's a synergistic thing happening here, that that it says something about the God we worship, that he's communicating deep theology, and our cue to slow down is when he starts making beautiful things. That's God. That's amazing, right? Right? That's how he rolls. He doesn't just like write us doctrine statements and like email them to us. He's a God who's at work. He's a God who's creating. He's a God who reveals himself. So here we go. And Mary said, let's stop there. Mary, who's Mary? Mary's probably about, for our age bracket, she's probably about in the seventh grade. Um, Joe, Joe unpacked for us the details of the beginning of Luke. An angel shows up. You're going to be with a child. She's not married. She's a seventh grader. Now, granted, that has different implications in first century Palestine than it does today, but I need you to realize this is a seventh grade girl. Take all the, 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 like, the big, like, bold paintings of her just being like this strong, courageous, middle-aged woman that you kind of might have in your head, and those are fine. That's, that's art. I'm just saying you've got to understand this is a seventh grade girl. This is a seventh grade girl who's been told you are going to be pregnant and you don't have a husband and God is going to do this thing. The world would look at someone in her state and say that she has nothing to sing about. She's got nothing to sing about. There are times when people look at us as Christians and would say, they have nothing to sing about. Why are they singing? 
because she sings. You need to see what comes out of this person, what comes out of this, this girl. It, it's just in response to her cousin Elizabeth has shown up and John the Baptist, who's not doing any baptisms yet, he is in her tummy and he leaps with joy when Mary shows up. John the Baptist in utero rejoices. The Messiah has come. God is coming to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. Let's celebrate. Because this is what Mary understands. Though the world would look at her and say, this little girl's got nothing to sing about. That's not how she responds. She doesn't respond, God, what'd you do to me? She doesn't respond like Jeremiah. God, you deceived me. What have you done? That's not how she responds at all. What's amazing about this, I think it's really telling. She believed the angel, right? But why did she believe the angel? I, I think it's because she believed the Bible. She believed the word of God. She believed what God was doing. She knew God had promised, I'm going to make things right. And God said, Mary, I'm going to involve you in this. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And so how does she respond? Let's look. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. One of the reasons why I think uh, we don't know, there's so many things we don't know about Mary, right? We, we don't know if she was literate, probably not. Uh, we don't know who taught her the Bible. We don't know who instructed her in the ways of God. We don't know who gave her the setup so that when an angel came and said, this is how the prophecy is going to be fulfilled to bring about the Messiah, bring about the one, the, the, the great king who's going to put everything back that she believed in. We don't have any of that information, right? Because that's not the important part. Uh, it's like there's two genealogies in Luke and in Matthew, right? And as you're reading those this Christmas, you might read them and say, huh, they're different. Why is that? Well, one's for Joseph, Jesus' adopted dad, and one is for Mary. Okay, <clears throat> now what's the important part about those genealogies? Uh, there's some cool stuff in there. There's some cool stuff about Ruth, and there's some cool stuff about um, Rahab, and, and there's, God does these different cool things in the gene genealogies. One's going back to Adam, and one's going back to Abraham. But the point of those genealogies uh, is not really to be that it's not really about the people who it's mentioning. It's more than anything about the fact that the God of the universe is moving through people, and He's moving through who? Broken people, Abraham, David, Adam. He's moving through broken people to bring about the restoration of all things. And the time has come. Jesus is here. And look how he's moved. Look how it's progressed. It's ultimately not about the people. It's about God. Likewise, it's not about who discipled Mary. It's not about how she knows these things. It's about the God that she knows these things about. And what does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul magnifies. This idea of magnify. This is a hard one. Um, this is a hard one because it's really about making something great. But how do you make God great? Because God's already great, right? Um, if you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, um, like I did, you may have had a device, and if you didn't, I'm sorry for you, you should get one for your kids. Uh, it's a set of binoculars that folds down like so, and you can flip out two lenses like so, and have a magnifying glass. It comes with a mirror. It comes with a compass. It's good for running around in the woods. Anyway, so these two lenses flip up like this, and you can take something insignificant and make it bigger and clearer. You can magnify it. You can see it better. Now, optics are an amazing thing because what happens is you can fold those same lenses out and pop a couple more little janky lenses out on the other side, and all of a sudden you can see far away. And when you see far away, all of a sudden things that are big out there become realer and clearer right here. 
So it's not that you add to the greatness of the mountain that you look at with your binoculars, right? We live in Washington, which means if you go outside of the city, uh, on the right day, at the right time, you can actually take some binoculars, and you can look in the right direction of the sky, and you can see Jupiter, and you can see the big, giant red spot on Jupiter. Did you know that? You should take that in. It's amazing. You live in a really cool place. So do you make Jupiter bigger when you, when you take a little dot that's way off in the cosmos and you bring your binoculars up. No, Jupiter doesn't actually get bigger, but what it does, it becomes clearer and realer, and you can kind of point to Jupiter and say, hey, look, there's Jupiter, and look how big and wonderful and amazing it is. Uh, this magnification that Mary is doing in her heart, she doesn't magnify and make God bigger, but what she's doing in this moment is, is from her inner being, praising God for who he is despite her circumstances and saying, God is greater than my circumstances. Look how God is at work. Look what God is doing in the universe, and what's amazing is these two words are used, soul and spirit. Uh, she's not trying to parse out the human person. Those aren't two different things. Uh, those, are, those are used interchangeably in the Bible. But when they're together, the emphasis is from the core of her being. So from her heart, from inside, she's saying, God is amazing. This other word, rejoices. Uh, I will try not to nerd out about this word because it is an amazing word. And so I have to restrain myself. That is your Christmas present, along with the Christ mass thing. Um, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, <clears throat> this word in the Bible, when this particular word is used, it always has, uh, for lack of a cheaper word, I'll use the $10 word, it always has an eschatological significance. Now, what does that mean? Um, in terms of the Bible, it has to do with the, the kingdom of God coming, the restoration of all things, Jesus' return, God making all things right, the way things are going to be in the end when he wipes every tear from every eye. It always has an eschatological, it always has a restored world, it always has a new earth from uh, Revelation a new earth significance. It always has the end in view, the trajectory of what God is doing in view. Uh, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you're in Christ, that's true right now. Don't, don't just mind this thing for information. When it says you, it means you. By God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation, being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's that, that last time piece. In this, you rejoice. In this, you rejoice. Your worst moment as a Christian is still on the trajectory of God who's restoring all things. The worst things that happen to earth, we're still on the trajectory. He's still put, and, and we have to have faith and we have to have hope because sometimes, honestly, it doesn't look like he's the king. You go to the right place, you hang out with the right people, 
You see the right things. It does not look like he is the king, but he's the king. So we have faith that he's still the king even when he doesn't look like he's the king. And we have hope that he's ultimately putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. In this you rejoice. Though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Despite your circumstances, despite what's going on, Jesus is still putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. Now what's amazing, there's one more spot that's worth pointing out where this happens, this word is used. Uh, If you would look in your Bible, just a few verses up, we have the story that's actually set up the song. Verse 39 says this, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. That would have been a few days' journey. And she entered the house of uh, Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary, you believed. I don't know what it looks like at home, in her hometown. I don't know what it looks like, what people are saying about her behind her back. I don't know what any of that stuff looks like for this seventh grade girl. But despite the fact that whatever's happening around her, I mean, even we see that in Matthew's gospel, even her own betrothed dude, fiance type guy, was going to call it quits until an angel showed up and said, don't call it quits. This is from God. And despite her circumstances, in response to this reality, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. Um, So she's magnifying. She's rejoicing. She goes on. For he, that's God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God condescends to us. God didn't look at Mary and say, huh, seventh grade, first century Palestinian, hmm, I think she'd probably be pretty good on the team. He condescends to her to do great things through her. He sees things differently than we see them. Right? We see this with David. We see this in David's story. As David, King David's getting anointed king. David's got all these brothers who are bigger and stronger and handsomer and handsomer? Bigger and stronger and handsomer. And when the prophet shows up looking for the king, his dad wheels out every one of those guys. Try this guy out. Try this guy out. Try this guy out. He's like, no, no, God said no. Got anybody else? Well, there's David. He's kind of the runt. Bring David out. Let's make it clear when David goes to fight Goliath, who is, who is the one that lands the rock? <laughs> right? Who's the one at work? Who's at work in this little girl's life? He's using weak things to make himself look good. He's making 
clear that he uses humble things and small things because small things need him. We want to be small. We need him. If you think you've got it figured out on your own, I'm sorry for you. Mary knows how much she needs God in this moment for the very circumstance in which God has led her into. If you follow Christ, you will follow him into uncomfortable situations. You will follow him into hard situations. You will follow him into situations where everybody else thinks you're crazy. He's looked on my humble estate. The humble estate of a servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So it didn't have to be Mary. It didn't have to be Joseph. It didn't have to be you. Right? It didn't have to do anything. It didn't have to put you in the spot that you're in. You're like, God, why would you put me in this spot to minister to this person to do this thing? This is really hard. Couldn't you send somebody else? Nope. You're the one. Okay. But I think something about those genealogies that show us and the Old Testament that shows it didn't have to be Mary, but it did have to be Jesus. And Mary gets invited into, uh, (laughs) put into what God is doing with his program to restore all things. And only one person got to be the mama of Jesus. And she got that grace. It was a gift. And I think it's important when we stop in these moments to realize there are people that you can minister to that I don't get to. I can't get at. There are people that I can't love and serve, but you can. There are people that only you in God's redemptive program can get to. Why is that? Because God didn't need to use you to get to them, but he chose to use you to get to them. So you're like, man, this is hard, and why, why them? Look around. Maybe God has engineered it in such a way that you're the one that he's gracing with the experience of loving that particular person. And instead of being like, why God, why? You deceived me, you fooled me, you tricked me, like Jeremiah did. You say, all right, this seems like what you've got for me today. I'm your servant. Look on my humble estate and help me, please. Um, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. Why is she singing? There's at least three big reasons she's singing. She understands God's redemptive program. She understands that God made everything good, Human beings broke it. God is fixing it. God is restoring it. And God is moving. Not only does she understand that God has her trajectory in all these things, she understands that God is using her and including her in his work to restore all things. She gets to be a part of the work he's doing, putting the world back the way it's supposed to be. And she understands, at least in part, on that side of the cross, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, which involves a king who's coming, and a people who get saved to that king, to live life in that king. She knows what Isaiah says. She knows what Jeremiah says, that the law is going to be written on our hearts. She knows what Ezekiel says, that we're going to get new hearts. She knows that that Joel says there's a time coming 
where the Holy Spirit isn't just going to help us, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell inside of us. And it's coming. And it's here. The, the promises of the Old Testament, all these promises and the fulfillments, they're coming. And they're coming through this kid that's in her tummy. So why should you sing? Because this is the reality of God. And we get the full picture, right? Because we're on this side of the cross. We know that God made everything good. And we know that human beings broke it. And we know that He sent Jesus to fix it. And we know that Jesus Christ has come and He's died on the cross. And the, the death He died, He died for us that through His cross and through His blood that you and I, if we are in Christ, are washed clean from every wrong thing we've ever done and washed clean from everything that's ever been done against us. And we are new creatures in Christ. And there's nothing we could do to earn it. That He saved us from ourselves. And He saved us not just from ourselves. That's half the gospel. Full gospel saved us from ourselves to life in Him. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. And it's all grace to us. And it's all His mercy. And He set us free for freedom. This is the Gospel. This is what He's done. And He's including you in it. We are ambassadors of this good news. You and I, not just me because I'm standing here and can't see you because of the sun, uh, you and I together get to bring this good news to this city, to tell this city the truth. Jesus is God. He came. He's coming again. He died on the cross. He'll make you right. He'll make you new. And all of that can happen right now. You're included in this. And in this, we have this gospel. We have this good news. That's why you should sing. And the reality is, as we approach Christmas, I think this is how we have a subversive Christmas. This is how we do something that makes the world uncomfortable. We're filled with love and we're filled with joy because God loved us first. Sent his son to save us from ourselves to him. When we don't believe this, I think this is important, right? Because I think if we're not careful, it's like when they don't believe this. Not when we don't believe this. When they don't believe it and we don't believe it. Uh, we do other things, right? Because we, we come into this time and in this place, right? Where, where <sighs> we come into this time and this place where we find real joy or, or, or seeking a people seeking real joy in the wrong things, right? We seek joy in the wrong things. It's, it's Christmas and it almost gets accented, right? The average American does not have a Christmas, Christmas budget. The average American puts all the Christmas stuff on the credit card, and the average American doesn't pay that credit card off until September. Okay? Um, in addition to that, we live in a time and a place where there are, and I don't know how you get to this because I'm not a sociologist, that's not my job, I'll just tell you what they say. That supposedly, some sociologists believe that this is the single most selfish, self-centered, self-serving generation that's ever lived. And so what is Christmas about? It's about you, or it's about me, depending on whose Amazon wish list you're looking at, right? It's about me. And I have a whole society and a whole culture that's encouraging it, it to be about me. And so Christmas ends up being about one of two things. It ends up being about the American dream or about American religion. 
Now, the American dream we know is actually, uh, you know, a seventh grade kid listening to Minor Threat can tell you the American dream is an American nightmare and that it's not going to work, right? Where's Michael Jordan now? He did not beat the American dream, right? Why, why do a thousand rock stars just come up empty and be like, oh, that didn't work? It turns out there's still a pit in my, my heart and my soul that this isn't filling. And why are so many people bummed out on Christmas? Because they thought that it was going to make everything happen. And then it turns out getting a Huffy White Heat 12 speed does not make kids at the, in fifth grade not think you're lame. You're just a lame kid with a cool bike. That was a hard one for me to realize. But it turns out a white, you have a white heat? Little, little speckly neon guy? Yeah, that was a great bike, tell you what. But, but it turns out that, that the things that, it, that Solomon says are still true now, right? Solomon's the great American dream maker, right? He, he beats you on everything. Oh, oh you want to make it about money? Uh, money, got it, empty. Power, empty. Empty, empty, empty. He just goes down the list. That's all of the... Cle- you want a good Christmas read, you read Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's, it's like uh, a Christmas carol, except for Ebenezer. Do- it doesn't turn out nice for Ebenezer in the end. He just says things like, it's better to be a uh, living dog than a dead lion, and you're just going to die, and someone's going to take all your stuff. Needless to say, pops a big hole in the American dream. Boom. Now, I think the other thing that actually might be more dangerous, particularly this time of year, is actually American religion. Uh, I was watching a program with my children. I will not say which station it was on or what Muppetish type character was saying these things, uh, but it was amazing to me how much the whole story revolved around faith, belief, and action. But it was faith in nothing, it was belief in nothing, and it was action that said, Well, you really need to be a good person because if you're a good person, then people will be nice to you and everything will go well for you in life. If you're a nice person to people, nothing bad will ever, only in America would anyone think if you're a nice person, nothing bad will ever happen to you, to be frank. Nobody in the middle of Africa thinks that. If you be a nice person, you're just going to have a good karma experience and it's all going to work out for you uh, in the end. But the thing about it is it gives us this sort of like warm feeling, right? Nothing weirder than, than being the hypocrite, hypocrite, being the hypocrite in line at Starbucks as people are working on Christmas Day and someone else pays pays back your coffee, so they've paid for your coffee, so they feel good about themselves, and yet these poor people, uh, these poor people are working on Christmas, and they're working on Christmas because I'm showing up to get a coffee. If nobody showed up to get a coffee on Christmas, those people wouldn't have to work, by the way. Just saying. That's an aside. But, but it's all about feeling good, and, and, and if, if it feels empty, and the American dream feels empty, you just need to help people, and then you'll feel better. The problem is the American dream terminates on you. The problem with you feel bad, so help people to feel better, what's the problem with that? It still terminates on you. Uh, the, the, the problem with the second one, American religion, is that it's actually a counterfeit to true joy. It, it's a counterfeit to the real deal. And the real deal is God. The real deal is Jesus. The real deal is seeing the beauty of who he is. The real deal is actually living for something more. Because all that American religious stuff, it's sort of couched around living for more and something else. Because it turns out the American dream is pretty empty and it's not making me happy. 
And so I'm going to go for after this other thing to make me happy. But it turns out in the gospel, when I stop and behold and I see the beauty of who Jesus is, my soul magnifies and my soul rejoices. And I actually kind of forget me. I forget about how happy or unhappy I am. And I see God for who he is in the person of Jesus. And I see what he's done. And I can't help but respond to that reality. Because we all respond to something. And and if you don't believe he's beautiful, and you don't believe he's glorious, and you don't believe he's gracious, and you don't believe he's wonderful, you'll still magnify things. You'll just take the lenses and put them together and magnify little things. What do I mean by that? I will not say, I realize I shouldn't juxtapose the two, but um, so here's an example of magnifying something small. So there's a, there are several conveyor belt sushi places in Seattle. One of them is very, very expensive. Uh, it's weird, creepy, and dark in there, and the seats are uncomfortable. But everybody likes to go there. However, Sushi Land on Queen Anne, I'll say nice things about them, and then they'll be packed at lunch, and they'll be like, why are all these church folk here? So like, I heard there was sushi here. Um, now, Sushi Land, on the other hand, their sushi is cheaper. If you go at the right time, they're playing old-school lunch. Uh, the ambiance is better. The tea p- tastes better. You're right in the middle of the kitchen. There's a conveyor belt going around. They have good specials, and, and you're eating sushi, and Tribe Called Quest is playing, and you're eating sushi, and Tribe Called Quest is playing, and lunch is awesome. Right? And then it just keeps coming around, and you keep eating it. We do that, right? I, I magnified that. 10,000 years from now, do I care where you eat lunch tomorrow? About as much as you're going to care. Because I'm not. I will have forgotten Sushi Land 10,000 years from now. But we magnify something else. We proclaim something else. We, we become the evangelist for, for Sushi Land. You got to go to Sushi Land. They have great specials. Tribe Called Quest. De La Soul. You can't miss it. It's great. The Huffy, white heat, it's the bike. you got to get it. We magnify it. We proclaim it. We evangelize it. So we're, we're built to do that. We're built to evangelize something. We're built to proclaim the good news of something. We're built to worship something. We're built to find our meaning and purpose and fulfillment from something. And when we target that on something that's usually us or kind of related to that being us, honestly, at some point in time, if you eat Sushi Land every day for a month, you'll get tired of it. Maybe two months, you get tired of it. But the real joy actually comes right there in magnifying and seeing Jesus for who he is, seeing his blood and seeing his resurrection and seeing the empty tomb and seeing uh, uh, the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth and what he's doing in the world and seeing it and just breathing deeply that, that that might become the fuel for your worship, that might become the fuel in the tank for your life. And I guarantee you, if that thing that is already real for you if you're a Christian becomes the fuel for your life, then that becomes the value of your life. Take it all but that. Take it all but Jesus. What happens? It's magnified. If someone's like, so you've lost everything, but you have Jesus. That doesn't make any sense to me because you should be angry and cranky. No, I shouldn't because I still have everything because I have Jesus. When we love Jesus, when we understand how much he's loved us, we can do nothing but have love pour out towards him and towards the church and towards the lost and those who don't know him. Right? Instead of the love for Starbucks uh, and the fact that I can get an Americano at noon on Christmas Day, uh, it's that my love is poured out on who he is because he has loved me first and then because he's loved me so well and forgiven me so much, I can't help but do anything but love others. 
and hold fast and value him above all things. And in an overflow of what he's done, we can't help but proclaim this truth. He's come. He died. He saves. He rose. You can live. He's coming again. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to celebrate what actually counts. But help us to do it in a way that rather than making us against what we're not, making us so about what we are for in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's not us against them, but it's us being salt and light. May we be bold and confident in the reality that you have come and are coming. I pray for everyone. We are all going to different places this season. We're all going to find ourselves in different circumstances. And I just pray whether you bring us high or you bring us low, we would do all things through you who strengthen us, Jesus. That whether you've just got blessing and good things and, and nice things for us this season, that in those things it would still be clear that you are the most significant thing about it. And whether it's a season of hardship, God, that we would know that we have everything, that we have joy, and that we rejoice and enjoy and magnify you for who you are. We can only magnify you if you help us. I pray that we just see you. Because I know when we see you and we see your beauty, we can't help but magnify you. Jesus, I just thank you, God. You are a gracious and mighty God. Oh, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.